1: to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance axis deer populations on Maui
0: Mediators World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana. This is Cal's Week in Review with Ryan Cal Callahan. Now, here's Cal. There's this old joke
1: in regards to animal management that goes like this there's a town hall meeting in regards to predator management, like coyotes or wolves. Some folks in the room are wanting to shoot predators to control numbers, others are saying, let live, and some are offering other courses of action a middle ground. One of these folks introduces the idea of predator population control by castration. If you are uncomfortable with castration, you could use any method of birth control in place of it. The well-meaning person in this joke lays out the fact that shooting coyotes or wolves from helicopters or having trappers go out and place leg-hold traps or cyanide bombs costs money. And people who just don't like the idea of predator death, will be appalled and angry. On the other side, if we let the predators continue unabated, then this will cost the state lots of money still because the state will pay depredation money to those ranchers suffering losses. Ranchers will be angry at the loss of time, money, and appalled that the killing of livestock was allowed to continue. So here's this fellow's middle ground option. We'll capture those predators, we'll castrate them, and release them back into the wild. The population of predators won't grow, but they won't be killed. The audience in the town hall is thinking this over. Some have even come to think like, hey, maybe this could be an option. When an old rancher stands up and says, son, those coyotes and wolves aren't breeding my cattle to death. They're eating them. (laughs) Now, before I get to the point of telling you this joke, for all of you who have heard this one a million times, I do know how to tell this one better, but not when kids are listening, alright. So hold off on writing in to ask Cal to tell me the better version. <laughs> anyway, a recent article by that fantastic journalist Pat Durkin at the meateater.com titled Incredible Waste of Money, America's Most Ineffective Deer Management Program, will undoubtedly refresh that tired old joke. Only in this version, will swap coyotes and wolves for whitetails and livestock depredation for vehicle and landscape damage. New York City gave 1,719 whitetail bucks on Staten Island vasectomies over the past four autumns. As Stephen Renella will tell you, the procedure isn't that big of a deal. Only, in his case, his insurance likely paid for part of it or, you know, it was just a uh, personal expense. Whereas in the Staten Island snip, the taxpayers are paying for this one, and despite public opposition from those pesky wildlife biologists, the bill is rising and taxpayers are paying for it. So far, buck vasectomy costs have exceeded $2,385 per deer, roughly $4.1 million. Which, oddly enough, according to the Policy Genius website, is about what the procedure would cost a human here in the state of Montana. According to the same website, the state of Rhode Island can take care of this for only 15 hundo. If only they had the same deer problem, I guess. If perhaps you were thinking about the reasoning behind snipping bucks and letting the ladies remain intact, Durkin cites a Cornell University study that shows that although tying the tubes of white-tailed does prevent pregnancy, it also allows for the doe to continually cycle into estrus signaling the opportunity to breed to surrounding bucks. In this study, although the fawn population dropped by 79%, the buck population rose an astounding 873%. How could this be? Well, the mindset of what we fall into when reading these studies is possibly the mindset of Mayor de Blasio. We think of the deer as a static population, a controllable number. If that were the case, then how did the deer get to Staten Island in the first place? They swam. Or, in Cornell's study, bucks from nearby areas, as in outside the study area, smelled the scent of doe and estrus and ran into the study area. Oddly enough, a doe that goes unbred, like in the case of a testicleless buck successfully mounting but not breeding the doe, that doe, although going through the sexual act, is not bred, so that doe will continue to go into estrus as well. You know, because the point is to make more deer, not just to be uh, mounted, I guess. So it seems as if in either case of sterilization, tying the tubes of a doe or vasectomies for bucks, nature still finds a way. The uh, buck just doesn't stop there, I guess. Interesting aside, I have a friend, who lives and works in the District of Columbia, D.C., our nation's capital. He has been involved in the culling, killing, hunting of deer, and the supply of that deer meat to food banks in that area for many, many years. He once sent me a picture of himself with a white tail he had just lethally removed from a property. In the background of that picture was our nation's capital. Yep, in Staten Island, New York, the proven, effective, and much more cost-effective method of deer removal from the urban environment is too dangerous. This week, we've got corrections, updates, giant anchovies, and so much more. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. As all of you wonderful listeners and participants, when I say participants, I'm speaking about you folks that write in and send in info from your neck of the woods. No, My week in this podcast is powered by steel power equipment, world's first and finest chainsaws. Anyway, I finally bagged a couple of turkeys last week. And I learned something. If you recall my hunting story about a tom giving me the slip, possibly due to a jake decoy in my spread, well, Giannis Poutelis tells me that jakes late in the season will group up and beat up on single toms. It happens to be a pretty darn good year for the Jake turkey population. There are plenty roaming around, and this last weekend, I was working Tom, when a four-pack of Jakes started calling. The Tom shut up and effectively disappeared. This repeated itself throughout the weekend, but eventually ended up with one Jake and one Tom. Neither in the way I really wanted to be bagging a turkey. It's just so much fun to watch those birds come in and interact with the decoy that decoying is the preferred method. But this go-around, I had made up my mind that Saturday, I was holding out for a tom. Sunday, anything will do. As I vowed, this was my last turkey venture of the year, so I could get on to fishing. So, what I'm saying is, nobody wanted to play my game, so I ended up popping over a ridge and shooting a jake. Then, with a combination of calling and crawling, I got in range of a young, yet 15-pound tom. And uh, came home with both of those two. When I got home, I collected all the carcasses from the season, put necks, backs, shanks, and even the feet into a stock pot and made a beautiful, rich turkey stock. The backs still had bits of lung, blood, kidney, and even a few testicles in them. I know this may turn off a few listeners, but the end product is the best I have ever had. This was a very simple stock, and even long before it was reduced, I was blown away by how good it tasted. Along with this cooking, it is a very good longtime friend of mine's upcoming 40th birthday as I write this. In fact, I think his birthday was yesterday. And in preparation for his big 40th birthday party, I did a pile of cooking. The plating and the finishing will take place on the banks of the Missouri River, the Mighty Moe. I'm going uh, Korean with my last huge Oregon elk shank, doing the Wild Game rendition of Chef David Chang's bossam recipe, which is kind of like a sugar-cured ham that gets pulled into taco meat, covered in amazing aromatic sauces with lots of toppings. Then I did skewers of collected turkey gizzards and hearts, duck hearts, duck gizzards, and then all the turkey wings. Even threw in a couple of turkey tails. Cooked all these gently to tender covered in Korean wing sauce, recipe provided by one Woo Jae, and a whole octopus. All of this, a little sugary, and I'm finishing it over an open fire to give it some char and smoke. (coughs) Holy cats, friends and neighbors. It can be so nice to experiment a little in the kitchen and test it on your friends. Happiest of birthdays, Ryan Parker Thompson. Another interesting thing, about the old Missouri River, on which I have spent many good and many frustrating days getting pushed the wrong direction by wind and sometimes the wrong direction by the jaw-dropping amount of anglers on that river. I was speaking with a buddy of mine who works there at Adipose Boatworks in Helena, Montana. Justin is his name. What I like about Adipose, other than the fact that their skiffs are really great boats to fish out of, is the fact that simultaneously as they cater to a very picky fly fishing clientele. You just wouldn't have an adipose drifter if you weren't a little picky. Adipose Boatworks modifies jet boats. This, all happening under one roof, is a classic oil and water situation for many. I'd call it uh, bipartisan boat building. Anyway, we were talking all things Montana, and one of the things that came up is the 2020 fishing regulation change from the 2019 Unlimited walleye keeping regulation on the section of the Missouri River from Holter Dam to Cascade Bridge, going from unlimited keep to a 20 daily 40 in possession regulation in the 2020 book on that exact same stretch, suggesting that, although non native and invasive, the walleye has earned a degree of right on the upper Missouri. Then, of course, we talked about the fact that um what the heck is natural and native it is not the brown trout which you can only keep one of on this stretch it is not the rainbow trout of which you can keep 3 and it sure as heck is not the dam the dam of course is the thing that releases warmed up water from the reservoir above and is very beneficial to the fish below it whether you prefer those darn slimers or the eyes slimers being a derogatory term For trout, of course. Brings me to a great question sent in by a listener. James writes in asking, What makes a species native or non-native? And how long does it take to make a non-native species native? Great, great question, James. And the answer is, who would you rather fight with? This is a can of worms. Just look at the fish you discussed a second ago about walleye and trout. We don't like seeing one species harm another. Meaning... If that darned walleye could hurt the trout numbers by eating small trouts or the food trout eat, then they shouldn't be there. Until, of course, enough people start to like that walleye that they lobby hard enough to get just a bit of regulation change from unlimited to, let's say, only 20 per day. This is speaking broadly and, at the same time, kind of personally. If you have a unique species that is home to only one area and for all intensive purposes it has been and is doing great in its area, then we should protect it, even if some other tasty critter is introduced that we may actually like even more. I will tell you that if something disappeared long before people came along who could you know, record things on cave walls or paper, let's say, take for instance the uh, American lion. I do not think we should go drop some lions off in Oklahoma and say, hey. We're just putting them back. I think we also need to realize, and I'm speaking to you, bucket biologists, who drop fish wherever you please, a new species in a place where they haven't been takes a toll on the whole ecosystem, not just one other species. We'll talk more about that later. It's a great question, James. I know I didn't answer it directly, and maybe not at all, but you can dig on that one for a long time. I suggest you do. It's fascinating take a look at the history of the horse here in America. In your follow-up question, I'll let you know if I'm in the south and looking to hone my pistol skills. Good luck with the kids and getting outside this season, James. A lot of people think that getting life insurance means you're insuring yourself for yourself, but it's actually the exact opposite. It's insuring yourself for your family. So, if something happens to me and I'm not around anymore, I can have more peace of mind that my family can have some financial support, and that's where Fabric by Gerber Life comes in. More than once in my life, my journey, people have described me as an independent person, and that's how I want to stay even when I'm dead. That's how I want to be remembered. That's why I have life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You could be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. If you've got kids, and especially if you're young and healthy, the time to lock in low rates is now. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meatfabric.com slash cal. That's meatfabric.com cal. M-E-E-T fabric slash cow policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states, prices subject to underwriting and health questions.
0: O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. All
1: right, corrections. American alligator in South Carolina. Wow. Turns out I have a lot of listeners in South Carolina. Thank you. And, as it turns out, you South Carolinians know how to pronounce your county names and island names uh, correctly. First, the unfortunate alligator victim was taken and drowned on Kiowa Island. Not, as I stated, Kiowa, which is in Charleston County, not Beaufort County, which is actually pronounced Beaufort. Your neighbors in North Carolina say Beaufort. I don't want to be like those folks. Ooh. Due to all the folks writing in, either currently in South Carolina or previously from South Carolina, I just need to come down and visit. So write in and let me know what's happening conservation-wise, and I'll make a stop and see what's up. And lastly, before we move on to the hard-hitting conservation news that you signed up for, one question in regards to the Meat Eater Land Access Initiative, where the proceeds from all Renella Putella's campaign merchandise goes to providing access to more hunting and fishing for America? Well, listener writes in saying, quote, I firmly believe everyone should have access to all public lands. I'm setting up the beneficiary for my retirement account at work. And since none of my hateful family members deserve my money, when I die in a tragic hunting accident, I would like my money to go to something more worthwhile. Great question. No, to answer it. Meat Eater is a for-profit business, and the Land Access Initiative, although a cool and generous move, is not a non-profit you can donate uh, your savings to. You can buy merch, and we'll put that money to good use, but if you don't want to do that, there's good news for you. Before your family gets you in that aforementioned uh, unfortunate hunting accident, oops, you can set up a trust with all manner of nonprofits to make sure your hard-earned bucks go to more bucks, or habitat or waterfowl or access, sometimes all of the above. Do your research and find the group that speaks to what you are passionate about. I know which ones I like: backcountry hunters and anglers. Teddy Roosevelt Conservation Partnership, Pheasants Forever, National Wild Turkey Federation, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, National Wildlife Federation, all the state wildlife federation members do some homework, and it's a great idea. I know my sister's kid is too spoiled to need my cash too. Moving on. If you, like me, cannot order a Caesar salad, if it does not come with anchovies, you will like this one. Researchers at the University of Michigan used a sort of jacked-up CAT scan technology called microcomputed tomography to perform an in-depth analysis of two 55-million-year-old fish fossils, one 40 inches long, one 20 inches long. Despite having rows of sharp teeth consistent with predators, including one long saber-tooth located at the front of the jaw, the fish were found to be ancient anchovies. There are many different species of anchovy swimming and being canned today. The largest anchovy swimming currently is the Japanese grenadier anchovy, which can be found up to the 20-inch mark. Another interesting fact about this species is although saltwater dwelling, they've been found to go 600 miles up the Yangtze River. However, none of our current anchovy species are considered predators, and not a one has a saber tooth. The theory is that the anchovy was the beneficiary of a mass extinction event, not just because it survived, but because a lot of its predators did not. The anchovy grew and changed to exploit its climb up the predator pecking order. The question is what came along to knock them back down? Next up from the Invasive Species Desk Murder Hornets! inch long three inch wingspan hornets. Exactly one in the U.S. to be exact. Bring the kids inside you fools. I'm kidding of course. I won't bore you too much with this one because you've already heard it twice right here on the Week in Review long before the mainstream media needed to rename them murder hornets. We've covered this topic and it's just not that sensational. As you know, the state of Washington is looking for volunteers and vigil citizens to report any sightings of the potentially destructive species. The Asian giant hornet does not eat you. It does eat honeybees, which is very concerning, really, for everyone, but immediately, for those looking to pollinate crops and maybe put up some honey. Here is a cool fact for you. In Japan, it has been documented that when an individual hornet enters the hive of a honeybee, the bees will swarm the individual completely, covering the two-inch long hornet in themselves, then they vibrate their wings. Temperatures inside these bee balls can exceed 122 degrees, which will kill the intruder. Believe it. Next up, the Argentine black-and-white tegu. A four-foot-long, 10-plus-pound iguana-like lizard. Actually, monitor Lake Lizard. I first heard of this lizard from a friend in Florida who is working to document and eradicate the reptiles there. This story, however, is out of Georgia, where the Tegu has just officially established itself. Georgia DNR are warning residents of Tombs and Tattnall counties. Uh, The email is askcal at themeateater.com. Go ahead, let me know how I did on the pronunciation of those two. You've got mail. Anyway, if you reside or wander through that region of Georgia, be on the lookout and do what you can to help mitigate the spread of these unwanted lizards. They are burrowers, so fill any holes on your property that may serve as a den, remove brush, and collect your chicken eggs before they go to feed something other than you. The tegu is an excellent survivor due to both its diet and what appears to be seasonal endothermy. The dentition of this critter is, well, familiar. The tegu has molars in the rear for crushing fruit and plants, and teeth in the front for small animals, insects, and eggs. Sound familiar? Now, for the other thing I said, reptiles are not endothermic, essentially meaning that their body temperature is tied to the ambient temperature of any given day, which is why you can look at YouTube videos of people knocking iguanas, which are very fast in the heat, out of trees with sticks in the cold. The black and white tegu, although slower in the cold, does have a body temperature on average higher than those of similar species, and it seems to be able to regulate its body temperature slightly more during its reproductive season. This is known as reproductive endothermy, which some speculate is how birds and mammals may have made the evolutionary leap to temperature regulation. Full warm-bloodedness, in other words which is something you may want to ponder the next time you see an attractive member of the opposite sex and feel your face get flush and your temperature rise. Georgia, being a state famous for turkeys and turkey hunting, should pay special attention to this one. The tegu is a ground-nesting bird's nightmare, but it doesn't stop there. Tegus have been captured on camera, walking right past an American alligator guarding her nest to grab an egg. The alligator apparently did not recognize the foreigner as a threat. Good news here. If they are anything like iguanas, they taste a lot like chicken. Maybe a little like catfish. Georgia DNR would like to remind everyone that there are no state wildlife laws or regulations protecting these animals. They can be humanely and legally trapped or killed. I know the South has a lot of hunting opportunities, but if you were to add tegu to your list, The birds would tag you, and the state would tag you, and if you came up with a killer recipe, some other folks would probably tag you too. That's all I've got for you this week. Thanks for listening, and as per usual, you can always get a hold of me at askcal, that's A-S-K-C-A-L, at themeateater.com. I want to know what's happening in the wide world of conservation in your neck of the woods, or marsh. Thanks again, I'll talk to you next week.